Welcome to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. So we've been talking the past few weeks about freedom, how to be free, how to get free, oh, how to free ourselves from all the things that we fall into and get trapped and imprisoned in. And we've talked about desire, and we've talked about mindfulness giving us perspective, and um, we've talked about what happens when crap shows up in our lives. <laughs> and um, originally I thought we were just talking about this between uh, Pesach and Yom Hatzmaut, but in fact it's going to be between Pesach and Shavuot. <laughs> but I've counted the Omer with freedom, with liberation. So this will be our last time. Um, and it really makes sense really because what is revelation except for waking up? Just waking up to our freedom, to who we always already are. And so today I'm going to talk about freedom with respect to our mind, with respect to our thoughts, with respect to our mental patterns. And again, like I've been doing, I'm going to base it on a teaching of the Pizetz Nerevis, this time from his work Tzav Viziruz, which is a sort of spiritual diary. And he says... Why are we so surprised by the thoughts of the crazy person? And we're not shocked at our own thoughts, which are so opposed and even the exact opposite of what is reasonable, basically, what makes sense, what is sane, right? So we talk about crazy people, but what about our own craziness? As you may remember, you know, one of my favorite quotes of the Pizetzner, he says, if you observe your mind for one whole day, you'll see there's no difference between you and a crazy person, right? Which is that the crazy person actually acts on and says and believes all those thoughts. And the first thing we can notice there, which is both, I think, um, humbling and liberating is that our mind is crazy. Right? Our mind just does all kinds of crazy stuff. Our mind makes up stuff all the time. Our mind tells stories which are just not true. Our mind has thoughts which we don't believe. Right? All the time. The mind is just saying stuff to us over and over and over and over and over again. And if we can for a moment stop and notice that the mind is crazy, that's often enough just to be free. If we can just notice the mind is crazy, we don't have to stop the mind from thinking crazy thoughts. In fact, our mind will probably never stop thinking crazy thoughts, right? But if we can just pause and notice the craziness of the mind, then we don't have to be attached to it so much. We don't have to fall into the trap of thinking, whatever my mind is thinking, this must be true. This must be true. We can stop for a second and notice, like, oh, that thought is totally crazy. Right? Or even if it's not totally crazy, is that thought really true? It's great to ask. It's like, is that thought true? Or do I know for sure that it's true? And maybe I, I don't have enough space yet to see that it's not true, but I might have enough space to just ask, do I know for sure that it's true? Right? Am I 100% sure that that's true? 100% sure that this is the situation? And of course, one of the most important places to notice that 
So notice that we get trapped by our mind, imprisoned by our mind, is our judgment, right? So our mind creates judgments of everything, of ourselves, of other people, of situations, of everything we encounter. We tell some story about that judgment, about how somebody else is wrong, or we're wrong, or the situation is wrong, or whatever it is, there's something wrong here, right? And somebody's to blame, right? There's a cartoon that I saw in the New Yorker once with a, a father and a mother and a boy, right? And they're walking in the forest, in the Amazon somewhere. And the father says, all right, I admit it, we're lost. But the important thing to remember is whose fault it is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we often do, right? <laughs> so instead of just trying to get out of wherever it is we're lost, we get fixated on this place of whose fault it is. Whose fault it is. And we get trapped in a train of thought, which upon reflection we know is unhealthy and unhelpful and false, right? We get trapped in a train of thought which makes enemies, which makes certain people to blame, which thinks about how all the reasons they're to blame, how we're going to show them that they're to blame, how they're going to get punished because they're to blame, or whatever other the other you know answers, or how they're going to finally realize they're to blame and finally do it right, right, <laughs> and stop doing it wrong anymore, right? And as the Bizetzer goes on to point out, he says, "How can we get caught in these places?" Everyone has some kind of basically difficult quality, a fallen quality, a place where we're weak, a place where we're not developed. For some people it's you know, improper desire, it's bad, it's hard for hurtful desire, for some people it's anger. For some it's pride. And everyone in that place where they're caught in that quality which is, you know, not healthy has these thoughts has these completely ridiculous thoughts only a person crazy from birth would possibly entertain them the person who is filled with pride without a healthy consciousness the one who gets angry in a way which is totally unreasonable. The craziness of his thought, the silliness of the thought, he doesn't know, doesn't recognize. And he doesn't, and he entertains their sort of craziness, their wildness. And as the possessor points out, that right in these places where we are most stuck, where we're most vulnerable, where we're most hurt, it's most difficult for us to see that our thoughts are unreasonable, that our judgments don't make sense, right? That we're blaming others, we're blaming ourselves, we're creating this condition and story of blame, and it's really just hurting ourselves, and it's really just hurting other people. Places where, right, it's good, the places where we're a little less attached, it matters to us a little less, so we can see maybe, it's like, oh, well, that, that isn't true, that doesn't make any sense. You know, you can step back for a notice and notice that it doesn't really matter, you don't have to buy into the thought, or it doesn't really work that way, or whatever it is, maybe, you know. But the places where you're caught, it's really hard for us. And you can notice what other places are, or maybe, you know, in traffic we start to get upset, but maybe it's a place we're not really caught so we can see, like, 
getting upset isn't going to do anything. It's nobody's fault the traffic is like this. <laughs> it's just traffic. Responding angrily isn't going to help anybody. I can just let it go. Maybe we can do that, let's say. But maybe in another situation, let's say we're in a relationship with somebody, and they're pushing our buttons, or we're feeling hurt, or we're feeling like we're not being respected, or whatever it is, the trigger for us, like for me, I can say, like I've been noticing, the feeling that I'm not being respected, right? I'm not being respected, I'm not being seen, right? So when my mind goes into that pattern of thought, and it may, it may be true that the person isn't seeing me, or in some way, it may be true that they're speaking to me in a way which is not respectful. It may be even appropriate for me to want to cause a pause to that, right? But the story I'm telling is a story about how like they're terrible and evil, and it's so terrible, and I'm the victim, and I'm so wounded, and whatever my story I'm telling about that, and the anger is increasing, etc. And that's not true. Right? What's true is that that person is hurt and vulnerable and confused in some way, and they're acting out of their hurt and vulnerability and confusion, and the way they're acting out of that may be speaking to me in a not nice way. That may actually be what's happening, right? <laughs> but it's nothing essential happening, and my getting caught in my own anger or defensiveness isn't helping the situation at all. And I'm getting caught often in that anger and defensiveness because I'm buying into the story my mind is telling. And the story my mind is telling is about how they're wrong and how I'm not being respected and how I need to defend myself and how I'm right and how I can justify myself, right? And none of that story is true, first of all, <laughs> right? And more importantly, none of that story is actually helping me in that situation. It's just driving me away from that person. It's just more and more conflict. It's just causing more difficulty. There's nothing that's coming beneficially out of that story in that situation. And so it's helpful to try to notice where are the places that we get lost in our stories, in the workings of the mind, right? Any time, or not any time, but most of the time that we're having some kind of unhealthy reaction or response, we're getting lost in the workings of the mind. How often, for instance, one wonderful way to check, how often are we projecting onto people motivation? They did that because they were out to get me, they hate me, they don't like me, they don't like this other person, whatever our motivation is, right? That's a great example of an example because we can never know if that's true. It might be true, right? It might be true, but we are not mind readers, right? So we can never know for sure if that's the person's actual motivation. Maybe there's some other motivation going on, right? Who knows? And again, it's not that we never want to be aware of motivations, and it can't be a healthy way that we can be sort of checking out people's motivations and trying to relate from a place of wisdom. But notice us getting lost in that story of, that's why that person did it, they don't care about me, they're inconsiderate, they're a jerk, they're controlling, they're whatever it is, right? Whatever it is our mind is saying is the motivation there. We respond to that motivation, we're caught in anger, or we're caught in self-blame, we're caught in doubt, whatever we're caught in, and all of a sudden we're lost, right? We're lost. It's a bad experience, it's a bad reaction, it's a bad relationship that's happening at that moment. And we don't know what the motivation is. There's no way for us to actually know the motivation, right? So what our mindfulness asks us to do is to see the workings of the mind, 
and to just pull back from them a little bit. We see them, we see the mind operating, we see the mind operating, and by observing the operation of the mind, we don't get lost in the movements of the mind. We don't get lost. And when we see it itself, just the seeing itself helps us see that we are not our thoughts. That the thoughts are happening, but they're not us, right? They're happening, they're not us. They're just arising, they're passing, just generations of the mind, some of them may be true, some of them may be false. But we now have a little bit of ability to choose, to reflect on how we want to relate to those thoughts. So we observe, we get actually a little bit of distance from the thoughts, and then we can evaluate what's happening in this thought. Do I want to buy into it? Do I not? Do I want to go down that path? Do I not? Now, that all sounds great, right? <laughs> But as you may have noticed, when you're in the, the, the grip of the powerful thoughts, right, the thoughts which are really in the places that trigger you, your mind is not that willing to do that, right? Sometimes it's not willing in the sense of you try to bring your mind to the thought, let's say, let's even you have the attempt. First of all, it's, you're so stuck that you don't even have the attempt to look at it, right? You're just like completely lost and you completely believe your thought pattern, right? There's no space outside the thought pattern to say there may be a question. Then, maybe, there's a little space to bring awareness to the question of the movement of thought, but the thought's so strong, it just pulls you in. It just pulls you in, right? There's so, it's like, it's like fighting this current, fighting this stream, the stream of just pulling you back, right? Sometimes, we may even notice in our meditation practice. We'll like have some thought, we'll bring mindfulness, we'll have mindfulness for a second, and the thought will like demand its way back. It's so sticky. Our mind will sort of be like, actually I want to go down the path of this thought right now because it's so you know, it's so tantalizing basically to our mind. Our mind is so fixated on that story we're telling. In different ways, right? Sometimes that story is justifying ourselves. Sometimes that story is being lost in fantasy and that's soothing for us, right? All kinds of ways the mind gets lost in language and thought. But whatever way it's doing it, the mind is so powerful, it'll actually pull us, like in my experience, forcefully. It'll kind of um, um, seduce us back into the thought, right? So we have a moment of mindfulness, we step out, but the mindfulness isn't strong enough seduces us, it pulls us, pulls us, pulls us, pulls us, pulls us, pulls us back into the thought. So what do we do? Right? What do we do when we're lost in thought? We're trying to create some distance, we're trying to create some space, but it's just not effective at the moment. So there are a few things we can do. The one thing we can do is to actually try to notice what the thought feels like in the body. That as you're having the thought, you stop for a second and ask yourself the question, what does it actually feel like in the body to have this thought? And you'll notice in my experience, some kind of tension and pain somewhere in the body. And then we turn our attention fully, 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 fully to that thought, fully to that, sorry, not to the thought, to the tension and pain in the body. And in being fully present with the pain in the body, the very source and origin of the thought the thought becomes less sticky. You don't get as caught at it because we're actually with the sort of fundamental emotional tension or fear or experience, whatever it is, that is generating the thought in the first place. Right? 
thought isn't actually a result of, in a certain sense, our thinking, or it isn't a, a, a thought which is serving us in any way, but it's a thought which is just responding to our emotional fear, our sense of being threatened. I'll give you the example again that I was talking about of me feeling not respected by somebody, right? Treated badly. So what's really happening is that I'm feeling hurt, threatened, scared, sad, all those things, right? And that is really scary and horrible. So my thoughts of blame and of resentment and of, right, making the other person at fault and responsible are coming so that I don't have to fully feel that fear, right? That fear and that pain inside and the sadness and maybe the smallness and whatever it is that might be arising. That's what that thought is doing, right? And that thought is trying to control the situation and say, well, if I can figure out who's to blame, maybe I can stop them, eh? <laughs> maybe that'll stop the pain or maybe that'll fix it, right? And maybe I'll feel in control because I'll feel safe. So I'll figure it out. I'll put people in their boxes. They're to blame. I'm not to blame. Now I can feel okay, right? And again, notice that whole, the fact that I want to question that whole thought process doesn't mean that it might not actually be the fact that that person is speaking really nastily or something, right? That may be the case, right? And it may be totally reasonable to put a limit between what that person is saying and me, right? Totally reasonable. And it still doesn't help me or them to get lost in the blaming process, right? That doesn't help me at all. And that I'm only doing because I'm overwhelmed and scared and I'm trying to protect myself. And that's what we're all doing. Right? You can think of the same situation in your life, whatever that situation is, wherever you're being triggered or overwhelmed or feeling threatened, your mind is producing the story. That's the only reason the mind is producing the story. So if we come back to our basic experience, which is the fear or the sadness or the smallness or the threat, right? if we come back to that in the body, then all of a sudden, oh, the mind doesn't have to generate that thought anymore. The mind doesn't generate that the difficult thing is that experience in the body is usually really, really challenging, right? It's really overwhelming enough. So it's hard to be with it. But we can try. We can try. We can try to be with it. And the more we be with it, the more we release the harmful, crazy and inaccurate pattern of thought, right? The pattern of thought that we're just trapped in. We may need to do things like take a break to even do that. Often it's not possible to do it, let's say, in the presence of the other person. We need to step back. We need to go for a walk. We need to go somewhere else to allow just physiologically ourselves to calm enough to be with the feelings of fear or overwhelm that are happening within us, right? And that's wise. That's great. So take a break. Go take a walk. Do something else. Come back. Be with the experience of the fear in the body. So that's one strategy that can really help us to not get caught in the trap of these false thoughts, right? Thoughts that just lead us astray and get us into trouble. And notice, I just want us to notice that these thoughts are just as true on a personal level. So we get into personal blame, etc., and anger and resentment. They're just as true on a level of ideology, of politics, right? Which doesn't mean we shouldn't have views or ideologies. Just like I said in, the, in, that, in that situation, it doesn't mean that somebody might not actually be speaking nastily to me, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that there might not actually be some problem in the world that we want to have a view about. 
Maybe we don't have any ideology that expresses our view of how the world might be better and work to that and understand it. Again, it's the question of how we relate to those words and those thoughts in our minds. Do we find them to be ultimate? Do we recognize it's just a view, it's just an idea in the mind, right? Do we recognize the way that we get attached and lost in it so that we're defensive, we're combative, there's no openness to hearing other, other ideas, other views, other possibilities, other ways of seeing, right? Are we lost in it? Can we see resentment and anger? Can we see what our relationship is to a great test as always? Bring up your worst political opponent, right? Or the person who most opposes whatever your view or ideology is, right? Do you want to kill them, right? <laughs> Do you feel they're totally evil, right? Do you feel they deserve to be like burned at the stake, right? Whether or not you think that totally rationally, is that the feeling inside of you, right? If it is, then you know you're caught in this place of resentment, of anger, of defensiveness, right? So one thing we do is we come back to the body, right? And we just stay, 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 stay with the body. Another thing we can do is we can actually start to challenge those thought processes by trying to take a moment to substitute other beneficial thought processes, right? So I'm lost in resentment, I stop for a second and I do the love practice we did at the beginning of class, right? I start to just try to notice and I say with my mind, I use language to cultivate the sense of I am loved or I say phrases of love, right? I try to cut off the dangerous thought pattern by introducing some other kind of thought pattern, right? some other kind of use of the mind. Now, what's powerful and could be useful about that is that we're using actually the mind, the linguistic mind, in a different way. So sometimes when the mind is so sticky, it doesn't want to sort of stop thinking, it doesn't want to come to the body. If we introduce some other kind of use of the mind, some other kind of thought pattern, it's a good way to substitute, to take the mind away to a different place, right? And then once these positive thought patterns come in, then there's some more space to actually investigate what's happening right now. It's like, oh... There's a little more love here, there's more of the possibility. Now maybe I can respond from a place of love rather than a place of hatred or a place of anger. I was just exploring today with some people a text, an amazing text from the Pizetzner, maybe we'll look at it sometime. And the Pizetzner says, what is your essential nature? What is it that you are fundamentally? What is your nature? What is yourself? It says it's not the body, it's not emotions, it's not even your soul. None of that stuff. Your essential nature is your purpose in the mind of God. <laughs> and that purpose is chesed. That purpose is loving kindness. Your essential nature, your task in this world of every human being, he says, is to bring loving kindness into the world. And even just reminding ourselves of that, of cultivating some phrase. Right? The Pizetzer also talks about saying phrases to cultivate certain qualities. So if you're confused, you're lost in the quality, you see a phrase which is like, may I have this quality or may I have that quality. And by doing that, we fill up the mind basically with an alternative, with something else. Create some spaciousness and possibly in the mind to respond in a different way because the mind is now occupied with other things. It's one reason, for instance, you might, it's my, extremely my experience, which is that when we do meditation practices with words in them, like we do a love cultivation practice or a compassion practice or a blessing practice, some of you may have done on retreat, it's actually much easier to concentrate. The mind concentrates much easier than we do through mindfulness practice 
And it does so because basically it's filled with more stuff, right? It's easier for the mind to latch on to more stuff happening in the mind. We don't only practice that way because it doesn't give the benefits of mindfulness practice, right? But when we want to concentrate the mind, when we want to take the mind out of some place where it's getting trapped and locked, so that's a good way to do it, right? A mantra, saying some phrases, filling our mind with some kinds of new material, right? And I'd say for me that, you know, I'd say even sometimes, when I feel totally lost in some kind of um, emotional or mental loop, and I'm just not getting myself out of it, sometimes I'll purposely distract myself, right? I'll purposely decide to take the mind elsewhere, to like read a book, or watch TV, or do something that's actually going to occupy the mind, because once the mind gets filled up with something else a little bit, (laughs) then there's a little bit of space to step back and say, okay, now I can actually relate to this. But it was so overwhelming that there was no space available at all, so then I didn't have an ability to actually relate to it, at least at that moment. You know, I try to relate to it, I've noticed, I'm trying, I'm trying, and every time I try, all I do is get lost. All I do is get lost back in it, lost back in it, lost back in it. Okay, let's actually take a break. And it, or maybe like going for a bike ride, or maybe right, just doing something to get the mind away, to break the cycle, you know, like cut off the cycle, right? And then there's some space, oh, and then there's an ability to work with what's arising. Then there's some capacity to work with what's arising. And there's places and times when we don't have any capacity. Another thing we can do is that we can notice, sort of remind ourselves of two things. One is that I've been in this thought pattern before and it hasn't worked out well, right? Like to recall, it's like, I, this is not, I've seen this, right? I've seen this. I know where this ends up, right? Like, I, know, I know where this ends up. This ends up in a, a fight, Right? I know that's not helpful. I know where that ends up. And just seeing that things can give you the motivation, again, to break the pattern and relate in some other way. But you're reminding yourself, it's like, I've seen this. I know this. It's just like the opposite, which is sometimes we can remind ourselves, I've tasted liberation. I've tasted liberation. I know what that feels like in the body. I've actually tasted that directly. I've tasted that openness. Do I want to choose that or do I want to choose to close down? Oh, of course I want to choose the openness, right? You know, we can remind ourselves, like, I've tasted, I, I know how this works, right? I follow that thought pattern, I know how I'm going to feel an hour from now, right? And so if I remind myself, I know where this goes, I know where this works out, I know what happens, there can be a little bit more spaciousness there. And then in general, what the Pizetzner says here, right, is that what we have to have is, Chilul kavod hadat, right? The the kind of the the denigration of the honor of our thought. We have to like stop taking our thoughts so seriously, right? Stop being like our thoughts so great. Like I'm so smart. I got so much to say. If my thought arises, I should trust it, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's a wonderful Hafiz poem. He says, people, I'm going to misquote it, but I'll say it vaguely. Do you know it exactly? No. Okay. So he says something like, um, the problem with sad people is that they go to this shrine and they do a weeping and a wailing. I don't have it right. Anyway, it's Hafiz. It's really beautiful, but I'm going to say it wrong. We need to stop being so religious like that. 
right? So we've got this thing, this shrine set up. We think it's so important. We like honor it. We respect it. It's like, like Danny said, stop being so religious like that. You know, we honor our thought. We think our thought is so smart. It's so amazing. And part of that, of course, is unfortunately because we got the message that that's like the best and most important part of ourselves, right? It's like that's how you get great good grades in school. That's how you succeed. That's how you do this. That's how you do the other, right? So that's that's of course the important part of me. That's the important part of me, right? But actually, our mind is just doing stuff. Right? It's just doing stuff. It's just making stuff up. It's just making stuff up. And so the key is to just keep sort of chipping away at that, you know, kavod. That chiluv kavod adat. It's like, just have a little more space there. Like, actually, I'm not so smart. <laughs> and most of the things I say aren't true. <laughs> and maybe I can have a little bit more perspective. And just relax a little with the process of thought. And just notice that there's some space there. So I don't have to buy into it. So I don't have to get lost in it. And when I do that, there's freedom, right? Because when I do that, there's space to choose and to respond in a different way and not to get caught in harmful thought patterns, which we've all been caught in, right? It's a chance to choose something differently. So thank you, as always, for your kind attention. And we'll take the next few minutes, as always, for some thoughts, questions, answers, experiences. <laughs> like you don't even need the YouTube clip. In my eyes, I'm like I can pull that up pretty clearly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you talked about. I just wanted to kind of clarify what you, um, when you talked about mindfulness. Cause yeah. You said okay, like you know, if you have a thought, something's yeah. bothering you. You know, if you're able to kind of create space, yeah. You get that mindfulness. Yeah. Then you're able to kind of look at it with a little bit more perspective. Exactly. But I'm wondering, when you say mindfulness, do you mean actually creating that space and looking at the thought, or do you mean actually not having the thought, like clearing your mind? No, no, I don't mean clearing your mind. Okay. Yeah, I mean actually looking at the thought. Oh, okay. And that's right. And mindfulness, most of the time in mindfulness, our mind isn't clear. I mean, okay. just because most of the time our mind isn't clear. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so when we settle in certain ways or learn treats, such for long periods, the mind can get quite, can get quite silent. Um, but no, you're just observing what's arising in the mind. That is oh, mindfulness. Okay, okay. So like okay. thoughts come up, you're just seeing thought. Oh, okay. 
the hard part about thought is that it's hard to see it often, this is my experience. Um, that's okay. You know, often we get lost in it or we see it and then it just disappears, which is fine. And like the mind is gone and you can just come back. Another question was, um, when you talked about actually doing something to like really distract yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, like going for a bike ride or something. Yeah. Then do you actively bring after that, and you feel like you have a little bit more space? Do you actively bring your mind back to that thought? Yeah. I, I, well, not back to that thought. Okay. I mean, it depends what, what I'm what I'm doing. What I'd say is, when I'm you know sort of wisely distracting myself, not just losing myself in distraction, <laughs> if I do that as like a choice because I'm feeling overwhelmed then I will sometimes try to get, bring, I'll just bring myself back to whatever my experience is at the moment. And if that thing was still sort of plaguing me, that's still sort of there underneath. When I finish the bike ride, I come back, and I'm just going to pause and say, like, what's actually there calling for my attention? It doesn't mean that I need to go back to that thought. Like, if that it doesn't actually helpful. come up, then you no, no, no. feel like you need to bring it up. That's fine. I don't feel like I need to bring it up. And I don't, almost never feel like I need to go back to the thought. Sometimes I want to go back to, like, sort of the emotional felt experience of that moment, or like the anger that was arising in me, or the sadness that was arising in me, and I can just be directly with that, uh-huh. you know. Mm-hmm. But the, the thought itself, in my experience, is not really helpful. It usually just is going to reinforce and strengthen mm-hmm. whatever the feeling is that I'm trying to be with and, and not have reinforced and strengthened. You've been listening to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. For more information about Or Halev and how to stay up to date with our podcasts, visit the website at orhalev.org.